Today's podcast is sponsored by RadRx, your source for quality online education for interventional and diagnostic radiology coding, taught by subject matter expert Stacy Buck. For more information and testimonials, visit RadRx.com. Struggling to learn interventional radiology coding? If so, RadRx has the perfect solution for you. Cracking the IR Code, Mastering Interventional Radiology and Cardiology online training program. In this program, interventional radiology coding expert Stacy Buck breaks down the complexities of interventional radiology coding in easy-to-understand terms so you can grasp this complex specialty. Through her course, Stacy has assisted many coders with little or no interventional radiology coding experience in successfully passing the CERC exam on the first attempt. For additional information and testimonials, visit radrx.com. Welcome to Who Cares What Stacy Says, a podcast providing insights and advice on how to take your medical coding career to the next level. And now, here's your host, Stacy Buck. Welcome to Who Cares What Stacy Says. I am your host, Stacy Buck, and today's topic is Who Wants to Be an Interventional Radiology Coder? In this episode, I'll talk for a little bit on what it takes to become an interventional radiology coder, and then I'll also talk about what you can expect as an interventional radiology coder. But before I get into that, I just want to talk briefly about my struggle with interventional radiology coding and a bit of my journey. So the first time I tried to learn interventional radiology coding was back in 2000, so that is 21 years ago. And no matter what I did, I just could not learn interventional radiology coding. It was such a struggle for me. I had always been really good at reading about subject matter and teaching myself, and it just did not come easily. In fact, it didn't come at all, learning interventional radiology coding. When uh, my one job, I had, to, I had to try to learn to do it to audit Um, some of the interventional radiology procedures that were coming across my desk. And no matter what I did, it just wasn't coming together. So at that time, we just outsourced those cases for auditing. And then eventually the one location that was doing those procedures actually got sold. And so I didn't have to worry about that anymore. So I kind of dropped the whole process of trying to learn interventional radiology coding. I had gotten books. I had read books. I had colleagues of mine send me resources about interventional radiology coding and it just wasn't working for me and I didn't have an immediate need anymore to learn interventional radiology coding so I pushed it off to the side. Well fast forward to 2006, we're talking six years later when I started working at Southeast Radiology Management and we were doing radiology billing and also radiology coding consulting I found that lots of providers were looking for assistance with interventional radiology coding, and I didn't have the ability to assist them with that, so we had to hire other coders to assist us in that capacity, and at that time I said, you know what, I have to find a way to learn interventional radiology coding because this is a very important aspect of our business, and this is something that's in demand, so I can't avoid it anymore. So it just so happened that 
there was a vendor that was offering a free interventional radiology coding seminar in the Fort Lauderdale area. I believe it was one of the surgical vendors, if I remember correctly, who was putting on this program. And so I'm like, I have nothing to lose. It's free. Let me go sit in this day-long seminar. And I was hoping that I would come away with some knowledge because every other seminar that I had attended just did not cut it. I listened to experts in the field and I was still lost and I could never quite get the hang of interventional radiology coding. Then I would just leave every seminar frustrated. Well, thankfully this day back in 2006, the gentleman who was instructing this seminar was amazing. He had a way of explaining how to code interventional radiology procedures in very simple terms. And I was so thrilled that day because the light bulb finally went off with interventional radiology coding. It was finally starting to make sense to me, this concept of component coding and catheterization coding. And catheterization coding had been my biggest struggle. I was having a hard time trying to figure out non-selective versus selective and what to code and what's bundled and it never really made sense to me and that day it all came together and it started to make sense and I was thrilled. So the company that this gentleman worked for back then they actually offered a credential for interventional radiology. It was the CIC, Certified Interventional Coder, and they would do week-long training sessions four times a year at their office. And so I decided to sign up for their next week long training session to just jump in and finally learn interventional radiology coding. So I went on site and did the week long training course. You actually spend four days learning interventional radiology coding. And then on the fifth day, you would sit for their certification exam. That was a lot to take in. Uh, within five days. It's four days of learning interventional radiology coding. And if you're green and you have no IR coding experience like I was, boy, oh boy, was that a challenge. I would say about a day and a half in, my brain shut down. I had a very hard time like absorbing any new information after that. It truly was a situation with information overload. And then on day five, that Friday, I'm sitting for a five-hour exam, and then I also have to catch a flight that afternoon as well, so you have the stress of that like weighing on you. Anyway, I did not pass that exam on my first attempt. In fact, most people did not pass that exam on the first attempt. It seemed from what I heard from people who had taken the course that those who were already in interventional radiology coding IR procedures they would have a certain level of success with that exam. But if you were newer, then it was unlikely that you would be able to pass that exam. And I was in that situation. And as someone who has never failed an exam, that was, you know, very, very telling. I'm like, yeah, this is really hard, <laughs> obviously. And it was disappointing that I didn't pass, but I fully expected that I was not going to pass that exam just because it's impossible to learn interventional radiology coding in four days. Well, shortly after that, I took it, I think I took it again a few months later. I went home, I was reviewing the information from the course, I was studying, and then I started coding interventional radiology procedures on a daily basis. 
And then during the time that I was coding IR procedures, we had hired someone to do concurrent audits of my work. And that went on for a year. Um, it even went past a year. It was at first started off with like 100% auditing of my work. And then over time, it dwindled down as I got more comfortable with procedures. And then I didn't need to get the second opinion of the auditor. So it took me about a year before I really became confident that I had confidence in my interventional radiology coding abilities. And it came from doing it on a daily basis and then getting that feedback. And then once I had that year under my belt, then I actually started teaching interventional radiology coding to other coders. So I took that leap and started out. And then in teaching, I also found that I was learning more and learning more quickly because I had to prepare you know, for those situations where I was teaching other coders. And I was very happy that I finally understood interventional radiology enough to do it and then also be able to teach other coders how to do it. And with me, with my teaching, my teaching style is similar to the gentleman who I had that aha moment with that day in that seminar. Um, I love the way that he taught, and so I've incorporated some of his techniques into my teaching style and how I approach interventional radiology is I start with the basics, I, I really do. I want coders to come to my program who have little or no experience and be able to understand interventional radiology coding. So what I did when I created my online training program and when I wrote my um, reference book, what I actually did is I created the course and the reference book I wish I would have had when I was learning interventional radiology. If I would have had my materials 20 years ago, I would have been able to learn interventional radiology 20 years ago through self-study. So that was my goal in creating my courses. And so since then, I've been now coding interventional radiology for what 14 years, 15, um, going on 15, 2006. Yeah, so it's been 15 years of interventional radiology coding. And I'm so glad, so glad that I decided to keep pursuing coding of interventional radiology because I've been able to build a great business around that specialty. I still do diagnostic radiology, coding, auditing, and consulting, but the majority of my work, 98% of it is interventional radiology coding. And so that's a little bit of my personal story in my journey into IR coding. And the reason why I share that is because interventional radiology is a very challenging specialty to learn and it does take time. You will not be able to take a course, any course, whether it's my course or someone else's course and pick this up immediately. It is about practice. It is about repetition. You need to actually be spending time coding interventional radiology procedures if you don't use it, you'll lose it. That's basically what it comes down to. So be patient with yourself in learning interventional radiology if that's a desire. That's my first piece of advice to anyone considering interventional radiology coding. Be patient with it, stick with it, and practice, practice, practice your interventional radiology coding. So what type of surgical procedures are coded by interventional radiology procedures? Well, interventional radiology is most known for peripheral vascular procedures. Those would be your complex procedures, but there's also lots of non-vascular procedures that are part of interventional radiology, and both vascular and uh, non-vascular procedures can be simple procedures and they can be complex procedures. 
Some interventional radiology procedures also fall under that umbrella of diagnostic radiology. So some diagnostic radiology coders might be already coding some diagnostic interventions. So some things that are part of interventional radiology, this is not an all-inclusive list, but this comprises the, the majority um, of the procedures that are done by interventional radiologists. So of course, IR doctors are doing catheterization placements for diagnostic angiography. So interventional radiology coders are coding catheterizations, they're coding diagnostic angiograms, diagnostic venograms, they're coding for angioplasty procedures, stent, atherectomy procedures, embolization, also thrombectomy, thrombolysis, IVC filters, um, you know, TIPS procedures, foreign body removal, trans transcatheter foreign body removal, dialysis circuit coding falls under that, also placement of central venous access devices, um, tunneled peritoneal catheters, endovascular repair procedures, such as the EVARs, the FEVARs, and the TVARs. Sometimes a little bit of the cardiac stuff will fall under that interventional radiology umbrella. Oftentimes when I sign contracts with clients to do interventional radiology coding or auditing, there are always some cardiology procedures that tend to be slipped in there. So that would be your diagnostic cardiac catheterization, coronary angioplasty, stent, atherectomy, thrombectomy, those types of coronary procedures. Those are really interventional cardiology, but depending upon where you work and where the procedures are performed, they may be performing these types of procedures in the same suite, so they sometimes get put under that umbrella there. Also, interventional radiologists perform vertebroplasty, kyphoplasty procedures, they do facet joint injections, nerve blocks, epidural injections, so they're doing a lot of spinal procedures. Also, urinary procedures, gastrointestinal, biliary, there's also biopsies, they do drainage procedures, aspiration, sclerotherapy, ablation, just all kinds of procedures. So there's a lot of variety with interventional radiology coding. So you're not just in one section of your CPT coding book, you are all over the CPT coding book with some of these procedures. A lot of them are going to be in that 30,000 section and then of course the 70,000 section, but then you have other procedures that are scattered throughout in your CPT coding manual. So those are the types of procedures that you would be expected to code as an interventional radiology coder. So what type of coding experience do you need to become an interventional radiology coder? Well, there isn't really necessarily any specific path to becoming an interventional radiology coder. Myself, I had very little coding experience um, really at all, you know, in my career, when you look at it at the whole, I mean, I started out working at the rehabilitation hospital where I told you I was doing coding for inpatient and outpatient, you know, rehab services. And then I went to work for, an, you know, another company where I was doing laboratory compliance audits. So I'm doing lab coding. And then I went into diagnostic radiology and I learned that. And so I didn't have surgical coding experience. I never had coding experience in, in the acute care setting. And I went from diagnostic radiology into interventional radiology. Now, with that said, I had had education on CPT coding and I understood CPT coding guidelines and conventions and things of that nature. I also had knowledge of anatomy and physiology. Those are all skills that any coder should have if you come through any type of training program. 
So I didn't have really a lot of solid coding experience going into interventional radiology. It was just the natural evolution of what I was doing. And as the opportunity came up to work in that specialty in the consulting capacity, that's when I took the leap and went all in to learn interventional radiology coding and master that. But when people ask me, they're like, what do you think? What type of experience lends itself well to being an interventional radiology coder? What's your recommendation? Like some people say, well, I'm a diagnostic radiology coder. How can I make the transition into interventional radiology coding? And diagnostic radiology is very different from interventional radiology. They're like two different animals as far as coding is concerned. I, there's real, To me, there's not even like a comparison because diagnostic radiology is a good entry level specialty and then interventional radiology is a more advanced specialty that you typically get into once you have coding experience behind you. So if someone's considering interventional radiology coding, I, I say that it's probably the easiest for people who are already in coding in the outpatient setting, say in an outpatient hospital. If you're already coding outpatient procedures in the hospital, particularly same day surgeries, if you're not already dabbling in interventional radiology coding, that's a nice skill set to add to a resume if you can find a way to break into interventional radiology coding and even get the CIRCC credential, which I will talk about during this episode as well. But what I would recommend, and these are the same recommendations that I make for people that are considering taking my interventional radiology course. Now understand these are just recommendations. This is not, you know, any, you know, these are not hard and fast rules set in stone. I just feel that if you have these basics in place, then it sets you up better for success. So I usually recommend that a coder has at least one core coding credential, such as a CPC a COC or a CCS. That's one thing because then that tells me that that coder, you have that training, you have that knowledge, you know about CPT, you understand the language of CPT, you know some anatomy, you know physiology, you have you know medical terminology. That's demonstrated with those core coding credentials. So now what you're doing is you're taking that core coding credential and your foundational education experience and you're going to apply it to interventional radiology coding. If, as I mentioned, if you're already doing same-day surgery coding in an outpatient setting, then it's a great addition to add interventional radiology. What I have noticed in, in, in recent years is that I'm seeing more and more job posts where the CIRCC credential is required in a lot of cases for those coders who will be handling IR cases. And if it's not required, I see that it's preferred. And in speaking with some recruiters, it seems to be increasingly difficult for them to find qualified coders with the CIRCC credential. So it is something that can make you more marketable and can make you stand out in getting another coding job. There are not a lot of people with the CIRCC credential, and there are not a lot of people who know interventional radiology coding very well. I can tell you in my experience, I've been doing involved in IR coding now for 15 years. And when I do audits of interventional radiology coding, I rarely, rarely find any provider with over 65% accuracy 
in their coding for interventional radiology. Occasionally, I will find some providers that are like 70 or 75. I think the best I've ever seen is about 85, but that is the exception to the rule. Most providers are around, they have that 65% accuracy rate, all the audits that I've done over all of these years. So that's very telling that there's definitely a need for coders that are very knowledgeable in this area. So what types of settings can you work in for interventional radiology coding? Well, obviously hospitals do interventional radiology procedures, also ambulatory surgery centers, that's another setting. And now we have this new setting called an office-based lab. And this is where the interventional radiologists are doing procedures in their office rather than taking the patient to an ASC or into a hospital. And it's actually beneficial to the physicians because they often make more money in having the procedure done in their office-based lab. And it's also more convenient for the patient as well because they don't have to go through the process of being admitted to the hospital even for an outpatient procedure. It's more convenient for them. You may also work for a physician practice themselves that is performing these procedures and do the coding and billing for them. But oftentimes with radiologists, whether it's diagnostic or interventional radiology, they often will outsource their billing to billing companies and those billing companies will do their coding and their billing for them. So there are job prospects there. <clears throat> and then of course we can't forget the vendors that provide those outsource coding services. You'll want to check with them. There's a lot of companies out there, hospitals, ASCs, physician practices, outsource their coding. And so you'll want to check with those outsource coding companies for positions as well. As far as job titles, you may be a you know dedicated interventional radiology coder, or you may not. You may be an outpatient coder or a same-day surgery coder whose responsibilities include interventional radiology coding, it's really going to depend upon your work setting. In the hospital setting, there is a position that's called charge capture specialist, or you know, it may not be called exactly that, but there are similar job titles. And typically what a charge capture specialist does is they're responsible for reviewing the charges for all of the interventional radiology cases and making sure that they're coded and that they're charged appropriately. And that may be a coder that actually isn't part of HIM, but actually works in the radiology department. They, they have the coding knowledge and experience, but they work in that department and they're responsible for making sure that the procedures are coded correctly, you know, based on the operative reports and all the supplies are charged appropriately that are coming out of the lab. And so that's a great position to be in where you can just focus all of your time and attention on that specialty. So you're a dedicated IR coder in that respect. You just have a different title um, rather than being a medical coder. But this is typically someone that has that medical coding um, training and experience. And so CIRCCs would be ideal for a position like that because they've shown that they have the knowledge in order to carry out those types of job responsibilities. So of course, people always wanna know what type of salary can I expect as an interventional radiology coder? And it's always difficult to talk about salary because there are so many different things that can factor into salary. Obviously, salary for any medical coder is going to vary based on your location, based on your job setting, based on other job responsibilities that you might be performing, in addition to just coding procedures. 
but interventional radiology is one of the higher paid specialties that are out there because it is one of the more difficult specialties. And again, you don't have a lot of people that have the CIRCC credential. So Stacy, how much can I earn? That's what people want to know. How much can I earn as an interventional radiology coder? I say, generally speaking, this is a range I'm going to give you. And again, some people may be making less than this, and some people may be making a little more than this. But generally speaking, I believe a realistic expectation for an IR coder at the low end is around $60,000 a year, up to $80,000 a year if you're the dedicated interventional radiology coder. Now, if you're a consultant, you can easily earn six figures in that space if you are at that level of knowledge and expertise. That is absolutely doable. But as far as working for a facility or you know, a billing company um, or an outsource company, that's probably the general range that you're looking at. And that would be for someone who has some experience behind them. Um, to be somewhere in that range. So if you're a newer coder getting into IR, it may not be quite that high, but generally speaking, if you have, you know, at least a few years of experience behind you and you've got a CIRCC, I don't see any reason why you couldn't be in that range. You may have to look around and find the right fit because we all know, I mean, you all have, you know, many of you have been in this field for a while. Some of you may be newer, but I know a lot of people listening have been around for a while. You know that salary range is when you're looking for a job, like some places you go to and it's a great job and then they tell you the pay range and they're like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I can't work for that small amount of money. So you really need to like search around and find the right place for you with the right salary, um, especially if you're experienced. And don't be afraid to ask for more um, than what you know someone's offering. If they say this is all we have to offer, well then you make a counter offer of your own and you tell them what you want and you explain to them why you're worth it. And that's actually something I would love to get into in a future podcast is negotiating when it comes to salary because um, I've learned some lessons over the years in that regard and offer advice on that because once you accept a job you're probably going to be stuck with that salary for a while and we all know raises typically are not big in a lot of healthcare facilities they tend to be smaller sometimes there's a freeze on pay increases so that initial salary negotiation is very important so i'm sure at one point in time i will touch on that for all of you so stay tuned so 60 to 80,000 is about what you can expect um, if you work for a company like mine, I actually don't pay anyone an hourly rate and I don't bill hourly rates to clients. Everything is done based on production. So I get paid per report, people who work for me get paid per report, and that fee is going to vary depending upon complex case versus simple case. But if you're a very good coder, if you're very knowledgeable and you're very quick with a high accuracy rate, there's no reason why you can't make a good chunk of change on an hourly basis. Um, it's, you know, for example, coders who work for me, depending upon their speed and how many reports they can code per hour, they can make around $150 an hour if they're a high production coder um, in interventional radiology. Now, not everybody is going to have the ability to make that money if they're not as quick. So the faster you are, the more you make per hour in that. And so that's how I pay. I know some other outsource companies may pay that way as well. They pay on productivity versus an hourly 
rate. So typically when you're getting paid on productivity, it generally will work in your favor as a coder to be paid on production. Now that is not always the case. You have to be careful about that and you have to make sure that you ask the right questions, particularly you know, if you're coding for someone, well, how many reports per hour are being coded now, like on average for the coders who are currently in that position and try to like gauge it like that way. So you'll know because sometimes those do not work out in your favor. So it's really evaluating those opportunities, but they can be very lucrative. Again, if you have speed, but you can't sacrifice accuracy with your speed. So now let's talk about credentials. And I'm sure most of you out there know about the CIRCC credential from AAPC. I've already mentioned that several times um, in this episode of the podcast. That has really been the gold standard. It is the gold standard in credentials for interventional radiology coders. That CIRCC, which is Certified Interventional Radiology Cardiology Coder. Now the RCCB, the Radiology Coding Certification Board, they offer the RCCIR, which is Radiology Certified Coder Interventional Radiology. They started offering that three years ago. That's the organization that for many, many years offered the RCC, which is mainly a diagnostic radiology coding credential. So the RCCB came out with that in 2018. I was actually the first person to register for that exam. Uh, when it came out, when they opened up registration. And I went and took the exam, not because I needed the credential. I already had the CIRCC credential. I wanted to see what that exam was like so I could make a comparison between that and the CIRCC exam. And that way I could tell my students the difference between the two if they had any questions when they were looking at getting a coding credential. So that's what I did. And it hasn't really taken off like, you know, in a a great way. I was actually on the website looking at the list of credential people, those who have the RCCIR, and we have less than 70 in the past three years. We're just coming up on three years that that exam has been available. So you've got 70 people who are credentialed as RCCIRs in a three-year period of time. And I think part of that is it's really just creating like, awareness among like if employers don't know that it exists that's part of the problem what's the value in adding the credential if it doesn't add anything from the the employer perspective um that's a big issue and so if employers aren't aware of it then how is it going to help you get a job how is it going to help you earn any more money if they don't know anything about that particular credential so that could be part of it with the rcc ir because I think most RCCs know about it. It's the same organization, but for some reason, they're just not taking it. And also part of that, I think, is, again, because the CIRCC is the gold standard for the coding credential for interventional radiology. So the two exams, I wanted to break down for you the requirements for both the CIRCC and then also for the RCCIR. So first of all, for the CIRCC exam from AAPC, and you can get information on that at aapc.com, they recommend two years of IR coding experience before you sit for the exam. It's not required, but it's recommended 
because they tell you in the exam information that this is a difficult high-level exam that's not meant for individuals with little or no IR coding experience or training. So that is the recommendation, the two years of IR experience. Now, I have had great success with people going through my online training program with little or no IR experience and then sitting for that exam and then passing it on the first attempt. So it is possible. So again, they don't have any requirements that must be met. These are recommendations. They also recommend that you have an associate's degree. Personally, I don't know what that has to do with anything. You have a lot of coders out there, great experienced coders who have no college degree whatsoever, but they're like amazing rock star coders. You don't necessarily need to have a college degree to get into coding. Might make it a little bit easier, but I know a lot of people who don't have that, never had that, and they've been very successful. But that's their recommendation. Now for the RCCIR, for their eligibility to sit for that test, they require 4,000 hours of interventional radiology coding experience within the past four years, or that's two years of full-time interventional radiology coding experience with both CPT and diagnosis coding. So that is their requirement that you have to fulfill and prove to them before you sit for that exam, or you have to demonstrate that you've had an adequate or that you've had adequate or equivalent experience, such as teaching in the field, in radiology management, or clinical support. So that's the difference between the two. So there are minimum requirements for the RCC, RCCIR. There are not minimum requirements for the CIRCC, just recommendations. Now, as far as fees to take the exam, the CIRCC exam, first of all, you have to be a member of AAPC. If you are not a member of AAPC, then you will first have to pay a $180 membership fee before you can sign up for the exam. Then the exam fee is $400, and then you get one free retake for that $400. For the RCCIR, you will pay $410 for your exam application fee. Then after your application is approved, you have to pay $125 to schedule your exam appointment. So it's 410 plus 125. So that's certainly not cheap <laughs> over there to take that exam. And as I said, the, for the CIRCC, you get one free retake for your $400 exam fee. For the RCCIR, you do not get a free retake for your fee. If you want to retake the exam, you have to do that within six months, and then you have to pay $125 for a retake fee in order to retake that exam. As far as continuing education credits are concerned, um, for the CIRCC, you have to earn 16 CIRCC specific credits during a two-year cycle. Now, what some people aren't aware of concerning those 16 CEs is that they have to be earned from three specific vendors. So you're very limited and it can be costly to earn those CIRCC CEUs. They must be earned from Z, Z Health Publishing, Dr. Z, MedLearn, or Medical Asset Management. Those are the only three vendors that AAPC allows to offer those CEs. Over on the side of the RCCIR, you have to earn 12 CEUs every two-year cycle 
And those CEUs have to be from RCCB approved programs. So again, you can't take anything. You need to look for RCCB approval for that RCCIR, and that's 12 every two years. And then also with the RCCIR, you pay an annual fee of $100 per year to keep your credential. And that they used to charge you like a recertification fee like every two years when it came up, and now they changed to this annual fee of $100, which I like better because rather than paying $200 every two years, I'm paying $100 a year, so it breaks that up. So I personally like that process better. And then back to the CIRCC, I don't think I mentioned this. I mentioned that we needed the 16 CIRCC specific credits from those three vendors. If you only have the CIRCC from AAPC, like me, that's the only credential that I have from them, um, then I have to earn another 20 of just general you know, CEs from other AAPC approved programs for those core CEs. And if you have multiple credentials with AAPC, I'm not quite sure how that works if you have the CIRCC on top of others, I don't know what their policies are on multiple credentials. So I apologize for that, but I only have the one credential. So that's my focus through them. Now, as far as the exam content is concerned, this is where the two exams are very different in composition. So the CIRCC exam is 150 questions. It is five hours and 40 minutes and then 70% is the passing score on the CIRCC. As far as the composition of the exam, the questions, it's broken down to where you have 25% of the questions pertain to diagnostic angiography, 25% pertain to non-vascular interventions, 25 are percutaneous vascular interventions, 10% are cardiac cath, and then 10% are coronary interventions, and then less than 10% is basic coding, anatomy, and terminology. And most of that exam is case study based. You're actually looking at operative reports where they're asking you multiple choice questions about the operative reports. So it is multiple choice. And that test is very intense and you have five hours and 40 minutes to do 150 questions. And most people who take that test need every darn minute of that five hours and 40 minutes. And then for the RCCIR, the exam content there is only 100 questions and it's two hours. So you can tell right there, there's a very big difference in complexity of the exam. We have 150 questions for five hours and 40 minutes versus 100 questions for two hours. And then it, they rate, they set their passing score based on the scale up to a thousand points. And so you have to get 700 points of that thousand, you know? So, and I think it might like, I think they might change the passing score. It might go up and down a little bit. Like some certification exams, the passing score changes a little bit. Like it might go up or down a few points when they do like the analysis and throw questions out and things of that nature. But that threshold is set at 700 out of 1,000 points, which of course would be 70%. And so that exam in the 100 questions for two hours, it's 25% terminology and anatomy, 10% ethics and compliance, 50% CPT and HixPix coding, and then 15% ICD-10 coding. So that is not, it's only half CPT coding on the RCCIR, when on the CIRCC, it's pretty much all CPT coding with very little of the terminology, you know, in the anatomy and coding rules. So just two very different um, exams there. So my thoughts on the two. As I said already, the CIRCC 
is the gold standard. And I'm just going to share a few thoughts with you on this. I have lots of thoughts. And I actually, after I took the RCC exam, I had made a lengthy post in a Facebook group that I have. It's called Radar X Interventional Radiology Coding. You can look for it on Facebook. Just submit a request to join, answer the questions, and you can join the group. And I had posted my thoughts and feelings and about my experience taking the RCCIR and comparing it to the CIRCC. But I wanted to share a few points with you during this podcast. So first of all, when I took that RCCIR exam, it was nothing like the CIRCC exam. There's really not even much of a way to compare them. Again, just based on the fact that you have 150 questions in five hours and 40 minutes versus 102 hours, that's telling in and of itself. So the CIRCC is is very high, highly complex. And the RCCIR, in my view, this is my personal opinion, I feel like that RCCIR is more of an entry-level credential based on that exam content. I don't know if that was their intention when they created it, but comparing the RCCIR to the CIRCC to me is like apples and oranges. It just was not even close. Um, and it was I was concerned about the exam content because interventional radiology is so broad and it covers so many procedures. I'm like, how do you adequately capture interventional radiology coding, first of all, in 150 questions on the CIRCC exam, it's challenging. But then to do it in 100 questions, when you're spending 15% of the time on diagnosis coding, 10% on ethics and things like that, I feel like maybe, again, my opinion, it should be heavier on CPT coding. And I also found on that exam when I took it, that a good portion of the interventional radiology coding on there were simple procedures. There was not a lot of complex. So that was the other concern that I had about that, um, taking that exam. So again, they're very different. So the last thing I'm going to say about the two exams and comparing them, I'm going to put my employer hat on my head right now. Um, and if I'm looking at who I'm going to hire as far as what I know about the CIRCC versus the RCCIR that's out there, I'm definitely going to go with somebody who has the CIRCC. That is going to be the gold standard because that's a very rigorous exam. And that is going to demonstrate to me a pretty decent level of competency. Now, there are people I've seen who are credentialed with the CIRCC, and I've audited, audited CIRCCs, and sometimes their accuracy rate needs a little bit of work. But by and large, those CIRCCs tend to have a higher accuracy rate than those who are not in the IR space. Because again, you can pass an exam, maybe you're a really great test taker, then you pass an exam, but then when you go over and you're doing real world coding, you may have a little bit of a struggle there. So the CIRCC doesn't necessarily mean this person is an expert and they code, you know, 95 to 100% accurate, but you at least know the person has the foundation and the understanding that you can work with. So when it comes to hiring for IR coding for my firm, I wouldn't hire anybody who only has an RCCIR. So when I say only, um, for me, I do hire RHIA, RHIT, CCS, you know, et cetera, if they have the appropriate experience behind them and a proven track record um, without a CIRCC, but that's what I'm looking for. More and more now, I'm leaning more towards requiring the CIRCC even with experience, and I'm seeing more employers, like I said, and talking to recruiters, that's something that is becoming 
more and more of a requirement. And then of course, on my end as the consulting firm, I'm always looking for a higher level of proficiency and more experience. I have people who reach out to me and are looking for jobs. And I'm like, because we are a consulting company, you need to have solid experience behind you. You need to have the credentials behind you. And this isn't something where you come and get on the job training. You have to be able to hit the ground running. So consulting firm is not going to be where you come and get your entry level job and get your experience. Unfortunately, you would need to start somewhere else. As much as I love working with students and mentoring people and I can give you advice, it's just the reality of the market and the level of expertise that clients expect that you have to have that minimum threshold. And so I also want to talk about just briefly, since I talked about credentials, exam preparation. There is um, a lot, or there are a lot of options out there for exam preparation. You know, AEPC has a study guide that you can purchase for CIRCC. Also for the RCCIR exam, there's also a guide out there as well um, that they put together, which you can study from and practice. But mainly I want to focus on CIRCC preparation because that's really what most people are interested in taking. And as I said, right now, that's the better credential there on the market. So AAPC has a study guide for the CIRCC exam, um, which will give you an idea of the exam content. And then they also have a 50 question practice exam. So on their practice exam, it's only 50 questions. So it doesn't mirror the exam experience. Um, but I actually have developed a practice exam, which is 150 questions and you have five hours and 40 minutes to take it, which does mirror the exam experience. Of course, I have no idea what questions they have on the CIRCC exam. They change them all the time. You know, they mix up every, any certification exam. They always have a test bank of different questions and the different, the exams just come up different like all the time. But my exam will at least give you that experience and that time constraint with the same number of questions. And that's what people tell me about taking that exam. They say the biggest challenge is having enough time. Most people who don't pass on the first attempt, they tell me it's because they ran out of time and they didn't finish the test. So that's out there. That's something that I offer. If it's something you're considering, if you want to know if you can pass the exam, and I've had people take the practice exam and then go sit for the CIRCC, and they say it's a good representation um, of the exam, and they felt that the practice exam did help them be more prepared for that real exam. There are also multiple vendors that offer training in person, online. Of course, in-person training has been on hold because of the whole pandemic we've been dealing with. Um, but there are a lot of companies out there that offer training, not just mine, and also books, reference books as well. And I always give honest opinions about who people should go to for their education, which publications they should purchase. And largely, that's going to come down to your level of experience, whether you're you know, beginning, intermediate, or advanced. That should determine where your money goes and where you go for your education. So there are some people that come to me and talk to me about my program, and sometimes I will tell them that maybe they should, you know, take another program. Um, if they're if if they have IR experience and they're more far along, then maybe they might want to consider others. Now I still have people with experience who take my course and they get a lot out of it and they love it, but I know that it's very expensive to invest in taking courses and buying resources and paying exam fees. I wanna help people make the right choice for them. Yes, I would love to have your business. I love making money as a business owner, but I wanna make sure that you make the right choice because I've been on the other side of that. I've been in your shoes and I understand 
with limited funds, you want to make wise choices. There are a lot of people that have come to me and after they've taken the course and they're like, I'm so glad I found your course. I finally understand interventional radiology coding. I wish I had found it sooner before I spent money on all of these other things. And so to me, that's like the highest compliment where they say, finally, your, your course is what did it for me. And as a teacher, I love hearing that. When people tell me, you make this sound easy, you make interventional radiology coding sound easy, that is the highest compliment that anybody can pay me because it is such a challenging specialty. And so I highly recommend my program. I would love for everybody who listens to this podcast to sign up for my program. But I understand that maybe somebody else may be a better option for you, both for your coding um, reference manuals and then also for the online training course. And anytime anyone has any questions about what the best option is, I'm happy to have that dialogue via email if you have any questions um, about that. And concerning questions and contacting me, as I'm wrapping up this episode of the podcast, I just want to remind everyone that we have two email addresses for the podcast. The first one is podcast at radrx.com. That's R-A-D-R-X.com. And for that email address, you can send in suggestions for future programs. You can send in comments and feedback about a particular program. And then we have a second email address, which is askstacy at radrx.com. And that's ask Stacy. That's S-T-A-C-I-E. Most people don't spell my name right. <laughs> ask Stacy at radrx.com. And that is more for you submitting questions to me. You want career advice. Maybe you have a follow-up question about something I discussed in a podcast episode, or if you just want to ask me like a fun question or a personal question, if you want to know more about me, um, if you come up with some really fun, funny questions, you're probably more likely to get them answered in a podcast episode. Um, I want the podcast to be informational and entertaining at the same time. Um, so as we go along, I'm going to try to do some things that are some fun topics, some fun things, rather than just talking to you about some of the more mundane um, things and hopefully tell you some funny stories along the way. And also just again, before I wrap up, I just want to point out a few things. Um, you can connect with me and other coders in the Facebook coding groups that we have. So if you're on Facebook, do a search for RadRx Interventional Radiology Coding or RadRx Diagnostic Radiology Coding, and you can join myself and other coders over there. Also, RadRx has a business page on Facebook. Look for that and follow that as well. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, I actually post coding information on social media. On Tuesday, we do Coding Tip Tuesday, where I post coding tips on LinkedIn, my personal LinkedIn profile. So you can find me, Stacy Buck, over there. And then it also goes on our Facebook business page for RadRx. And then we have a Q&A Thursday, which also the Q&A is posted on my personal account on LinkedIn. And then it's also posted on our RadRx Facebook page. So you can connect there if you're looking for some good coding information. And so I want to thank all of you for joining me for another episode of Who Cares What Stacy Says. And until next time, have an amazing two weeks. Thank you again for joining me. Thank you for listening to Who Cares What Stacy Says. You can connect with Stacy on social media. You can find her business page for RadRx on Facebook, and you can connect with her personally on LinkedIn. 
Don't forget to check out the online training courses offered by RadRx. Cracking the IR code, mastering interventional radiology and cardiology online training, or cracking the diagnostic radiology code online training. Thanks again for tuning in to Who Cares What Stacy Says, a podcast providing insights and advice on how to take your medical coding career to the next level.